Is the environment you're placing your ads the most effective it could be for your brand? Research shows premium digital environments deliver superior memorability, leading to attitude change and driving purchase intent. When you're looking to make a lasting impression, think premium digital. Visit thinkpremiumdigital.com.au to find out more. My guests are the two most senior people at Paramount in Australia, Chief Operating and Commercial Officer Jared Villani and Chief Content Officer Beverly McGarvey. Paramount is best known locally as the US parent company of commercial TV network 10. It also owns streaming service Paramount Plus, along with MTV and Nickelodeon. Jared joined the company almost two years ago, while Bev joined in 2006, which was a few owners ago now. By the time you hear this podcast, the Paramount Upfront event, where the company revealed its plans for 2023, will have taken place. We'll get onto that in a moment. Uh, First, a question for you, Bev. Now, in previous years, when I've written about the Upfronts, it's been all about 10 as the main brand, whether it happened to be owned by Cam West, James Packer, Lachlan Murdoch, or CBS. Now, I noticed when I was making my notes today that I actually unconsciously called my file Paramount, not 10. Um, Do you think that is how the market now sees you as a company? Are you Paramount locally now, do you think? Um, I think that is a good thing. I'm happy to hear that because... I think we do see ourselves in that manner. Obviously, 10, Network 10 is an incredi- incredibly important part of our business, but it is part of our business. Obviously, we have 10 Play, Paramount Plus, Nickelodeon, MTV, as you mentioned. And I think how we perceive ourselves in the market and certainly how we position and structure the business is that all of those elements together collectively um, allow us to do the things we need to do in the market and I think we can grow 10 we can grow Paramount Plus and the sum of all those individual parts is bigger so I think in terms of being a corporate brand we see Paramount as that corporate brand and then the consumer brands like N10 sit below that um, a, a, as you've kind of illustrated. Well let's get into the upfront so now Jared for me the most interesting announcement strategically I think is the arrival of Pluto TV um it's not a complete surprise. Um, so it offers fast channels, fast standing for free ad-supported television. Now, initially, that's as part of 10 Play rather than fully standing on its own. Um, why are you doing it this way rather than a full local launch at this stage of Pluto? Yeah, thanks, Tim. Look, firstly, we're incredibly excited to be bringing um, Pluto TV to the, to the Australian market, you know, expanding Paramount's free ad-supported offering uh, to both audiences and, and to our partners. You know, it currently operates in three different continents and across 30 countries. It has something like, you know, 70 million global MAUs. Uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a very successful product in of its own right. Uh, turns over, you know, roughly a billion dollars US every year. So, you know, a significant product. For us in Australia, it's it's very much an initial step with Pluto TV. Um, we obviously have uh, a very well-known um, ad-supported free streaming product in 10Play, and this is uh, an initial step with Pluto TV to really introduce Pluto TV both to audiences uh, and to our partners uh, over the coming months. How many channels will there be initially then? 
We'll be making further announcements about the number of channels in the in the coming months. Um, but we'll again, this is an initial step, so we'll look to to launch with a with a um, uh, a number of channels, you know, tailored to uh, the Australian market. Now we say number. Um, I'll, I'll push you a tiny bit more on it. At the moment, the the only major player in this market who's already doing fast channels, as in the sort of curated broadcast style channels, is Seven. They've got all. Oh, I'm going to guess around about maybe ten channels or something. Is that the sort of number we'd see initially with Pluto in this market? We'll look to launch with a number of initial cha- channels that we think. Um, suits the strategy that we want to pursue that we think will appeal to the Australian audiences and then we'll progressively add to that as that makes sense uh, going into 2023 and beyond. And that launches in 2023 or this side of Christmas? You'll see Pluto TV in the Australian market in the latter part of this year and we'll progressively add to the offering going to 2023. Well let me come back to you Bev. Now I suppose I've I've started to think of television as four separate things. Uh, number one, traditional broadcast. Number two, AVOD, which for everyone who's following along with the acronyms, ad-supported video on demand. Um, so that, I suppose, is lean forward for viewers. Uh, a, a lot of what's on template at the moment. Then we have SVOD, which is the subscription video, Paramount+. Plus. And now fast, which, you know, as we've been saying, is channel based. And, you know, so it's, 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 I suppose, spiritually a bit like broadcast television in that it's curated. Um, how are you thinking about how you'll program the Pluto channels? I think it's a really good question. And I think all of those things sit comfortably beside each other. When you think of 10 and the type of content that is on 10, it tends to be mass appeal, broad reach generally with a pretty broad demographic skew, family entertainment, or at least targeted at a adult, broad adult audience, um, you know, kind of everybody over 18, 25, whatever it is. Um, and we're looking for shows that appeal to the most amount of people that they can, you know, the big reality franchises, etc. that all the free airs do. So there's that. When you think of AVOD, the AVOD audience in terms of, and what Template does, it really does lean into that. So it's people who want to watch those shows, but they don't want to watch it when we decide they might want to watch it at seven o'clock. They might want to watch it at 8.30, or they might want to watch it tomorrow. Or they might want to catch up with it on the weekend. So I think a lot of the content is similar. And what the AVOD allows you to do, to do is expand on that. So for example, we have World of Survivor on Template. So you like Survivor, you want to watch Survivor South Africa, you're kind of a super fan and you want to watch that, there it is. What Fast Channels does is take that one step further. You're a fan of Survivor. You watch Survivor. You watch, you know, you go deep into South African Survivor and you curate it yourself. What Fast does is it it allows us to curate that for you. And it, 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 to a degree, takes it back to that lean back space. So we're going to curate the best of Survivor from all over the world. Or maybe we go, you know what, you like adventure programming. You're watching Survivor. We're going to give you an adventure channel or whatever it is. So there's all of that. And then when you think about the subscription services, what we're asking those people for is not just their time where they watch ad supported, we're asking them for money. So I think everything on those services has to be slightly elevated because 
People are giving you cash. So therefore, it is precisely what they want. It's not, oh, I think I'm going to watch this show tonight because, you know, my partner's watching it and I'm kind of enjoying it. And actually, I'm getting really sucked in now. You're going out of the way to make that decision. But it's the interesting thing about SBOD now is it's not just, it used to all be super premium scripted, but now SBOD and Paramount Plus in particular is multi-genre. So it is actually a full service in terms of your content. There's reality, there's entertainment, there's kids, there's news, there's sport. So it is full service. But if you're paying for it, there is more of exactly what you want, that you want to watch 1883 and you want to watch XYZ, whatever it is. So I think all of those things coexist. From a content strategy point of view, for us it is about getting content in front of the most people that we can where it will where audiences want it and where it makes most sense for the biz- most sense for the business. And sometimes that premiere may be on Paramount Plus or it may be on Ten or it may even be on Bvod. Um, and the fast channels are really supporting all around of that because it is multiple verticals that appeal to particular audiences, but there's lots and lots of them. So one of the things with those channels is they will mean more, potentially, more advertising inventory. Um, do you think that the launch of Pluto channels will create new demand or will it be about taking eyeballs from existing rivals in the sector? Do you mean from a audience perspective or from a advertising perspective? Well, I suppose, I mean, I mean, obviously both come along, but yeah, it strikes me that, you know, th- there's a limit in advertising demand, I suppose. So, um, you know, at some point, if, if people are going to pay a decent rate, they've got to come from somewhere else. Yeah, so th- look, I think that I think that's true, but we've already seen a, a mass kind of you know, fragmentation or segmentation of advertising dollars already that's been spread across various different video platforms. Um, I think what Pluto TV offers to audiences will attract new eyeballs or hold eyeballs for longer on our platforms, engage them in our ecosystem for a longer period of time, create greater advertising opportunities. Um, and we think that we'll continue to grow the pie um, in relation to Paramount as a result of that. And speaking of that growing pie, do you think there will be enough advertiser demand in the market to support an advertising tier for Paramount Plus in time too? Well, there is an advertising uh, tier in the US, as um, many people know. Um, at the moment, it's not uh, currently within our, um, you know, it's not a strategic focus of us here in Australia. Um, the world has evolved very quickly over the last 12 or 24 months when it comes to um, media entertainment companies and the way in which they provide content to um, to audiences. So we'll see how that evolves. We'll continue to monitor the space. We'll continue to see how audiences respond to that. Um, but for the time being, it's not um, it's not an imperative for the Australian market. Well, Bev, programming is still the thing which I suppose matters most for upfront announcements, even in this sort of multi-channel world. Um, now, just before we talk about some of the new stuff that you've, you've been announcing this week, let's talk about Hunted which is coming back. Uh, You must be really pleased with how that went this year. Yeah, we are really pleased. I think um, one of the things that we talk about a bit at the upfront is that we're really seeing a few different trends. First of all, audiences will still watch the really established shows if you keep them fresh. And audiences really want new content. 
they respond really well to new content. So we were pleased to see Hunted do well because it's a new brand. And also, and we talk about this every year, but it remains true every year. You need shows at different stages of their life cycle. You need shows in year two and year five and year 10. You can't have everything in year one or year 10. You want a cross section. So it's really good that we have a show like Hunted that we can evolve and grow next year that had a really good start. And the other thing is um, we still have three new brands to put on the schedule this year. We have Love Boat, Traitors, and The Challenge, all of which are big new brands, some with known IP like Love Boat and The Challenge is known IP, but new to Australia. So um, we're seeing that. And then the other trend that I think is cyclical in terms of the environmental position we find ourselves in, um, in terms of the economic situation is that at times like this, people, they love to laugh, they love comedy, that they love those warm, funny shows. And we are lucky that we have a great lineup of comedy and we're adding some new comedies to that next year. So yeah, let's let's look at some of the things which um, which, which you have flagged as coming up in 2023. Um, one of the ones I'm really um, intrigued by is um, Taskmaster. Yeah, I, I hope you enjoy Taskmaster. It's a very established British format, and it's a really hard show to describe because to actually describe what happens in it makes it sound less funny than funny people would make it um, sound. But it's been on in the UK for I think 16 seasons, and we think we have found the perfect taskmaster in Tom Gleason. It feels like he was born to sit in that chair and play that role. Tom Cashman is the taskmaster's assistant. The really interesting thing about taskmaster is when you cast a series, you get all five contributors for the entire run, and we cast them in a very particular way. They're comedians that have different skills. Um, you know, some established comedians like Julia Morris, who does great physical comedy as well as everything else, and then we have some newcomers: Nina Oyama, Daniela Walker, along with um, Jimmy Reese in a role that people are probably not expecting to see him in. And then Luke McGregor, who kind of, you know, is in that kind of subtle, solid middle space. So we're really excited about that. We're filming it at the minute, actually. Um, and would I lie to you is coming back, obviously, Cheap Seats, having pen attention, Gogglebox. We kind of consider I'm a celebrity in that comedy bucket. So we have lots of new comedies, um, well, a new comedy and lots of other comedies coming through. And um, I suppose one of the things about Taskmaster that does fascinate me, which is what you've sort of you know nodded towards is is the fact that the casting is so important because sort of unlike panel shows you you can't necessarily rotate rotate people out you've you've got to get your selection right um how how do you actually think about balancing the cast of characters and something like that you you must have started with a far longer list of names before zooming in on the choices you've made we absolutely did and i think what we in this in this case, what we did, we backed ourselves for success moving forward. So we kind of go, well, this is a great combination, which means you may not have, you know, there may be some people on the list that you'd love to put in somewhere and you think, well, you know, this person chemistry plays better over here. So, and it's a really established format. And that is actually really important because over the years in the UK, and in fact, in New Zealand and all the other markets it's in, they have worked out what works that you need a particular type, a comedian that does for example, the physical comedy, you need a comedy, you need a comedian that's kind of really brave and risk taking and a bit um, inappropriate and um, less respecting of authority. You need all of those different elements and then you want to put them all together. And you also want something, something surprising, somebody that you wouldn't expect to see. But also they don't all need to be big names. Sometimes the discovery and the new talent is kind of where the fun of the show comes from. Um, so we when I we had heated debates about it, I think it's fair to say, but we did lean heavily on the consultants from the UK in terms of 
archetypes as opposed to actual people. And then we, you know, we kind of put that together locally. Well, let's uh, talk about some uh, some more shows. I'll run through a few more. Um, another format, which has been in Australia before, but I think only on subscription TV, Location, Location, the Australia version, which I think back in the day had a few series on, on lifestyle. Um, is, you know, with a, with a property crash looming, is now the time for a location show? <laughs> it, that's really interesting. Um, I think what a location show is for a lot of people is aspirational. Um, if that sort of element or how do you downsize how do you relocate so I think it is such a universal theme for Australian audiences I don't necessarily think you need to be um, kind of riding a wave of massive property prices to make a show which is really about where people live and how they choose to live because we all have to live we all have to live somewhere and maybe you're not going to buy the whatever flash thing you were going to buy but you want to and this the reason that we first started talking about this was actually covid and the amount of people having some sort of tree change and moving to the country so it actually came out of that but people in this country and in many, many markets are incredibly obsessed with that sort of show. Um, and it was on the Lifestyle Channel a number of years ago, incredibly successfully. And we really wanted something that captured that part of people's lives. When you go out, when you talk to people, they're always talking about, you know, where they live, where they're looking at. So I, I think it's a really good point. But I, and we also don't see it as a short term play. It is the sort of show, if you get it right, it could be on the schedule for many years. Well, there's a lot of content to zip through, so I'll keep going. Um, Dessert Masters. Is exactly what you think it is. It's the really delicious, sugary, Willy Wonka-esque, fabulous elements that were in MasterChef. So the, the show has been designed as a standalone event special. Um, and MasterChef is getting a slightly um, abbreviated run this year. And the reason for that is, as I said at the beginning, we think it's really important to keep our established formats fresh. And I think the way this world has moved, expecting people to watch a show for effectively what was pretty much 14 weeks is a pretty big ask these days. But we love the show and it does really well and it does great business for both us and our partners. So we wanted to keep it where it should be. Um, So one of the things we wanted to do was think about, is there a fresh way to um, capture that MasterChef audience and appeal to those audiences and, you know, give something to those clients as well. And Dessert Masters, when you think about all the shows out there, whether it be Is It Cake or all those types of shows, desserts are obviously appealing. Um, And I'll feel a bit different. It's a very short run. It's an event. And um, speaking of the MasterChef shorter run, um, the theme is secrets and surprises. It, It is, which probably by its name would indicate that I'm not going to tell you what those are. Um, but we, what we have found is MasterChef audiences, they love the show. We need to give people a reason to come in at the beginning so that they remember why they love the show. And in seasons that we have some sort of lightly thematic element, we find that those series do particularly well. Once you get into it, you get bread and butter MasterChef that people love, but we give them a bit of sprinkling of something special on the top to get them through the front door. A couple of dramas, uh, North Shore and Paper Dolls. Yeah, uh, North Shore is really interesting. It's from Mike Bullen, who wrote Cold Feet. Um, And it's like both of these dramas are for 10. And you will see that we're, you know, commissioning, obviously, lots of um, scripted content for Paramount Plus as well. But there is still an appetite for local Australian drama on 10. Um, North Shore is a thriller. Um, It's 
it's something that appeals both to our audience. It has a slight British element um, and it will also play in the UK. It's a co-production with our friends at Channel 5, which is really um, interesting, but a great script, phenomenal casting and is starting just about now. We're filming now um, or we might be a little bit through filming. Paper Dolls is really interesting as well. So Paper Dolls, we all grew up watching Idol um, and those different sorts of shows. And, you know, in the UK, a band came through called Girls Aloud during that era. And, you know, we've all heard of the Spice Girls and Bardot and Pussycat Dolls, whatever country it is, there's a big girl band, largely often put together in some sort of Idol-esque show. This story is the story of what happens next. When you stand on that stage and you win and you're one of those five girls, what does your life actually look like? Is it better? Is it worse? How is it different? So I, I think it's an area that free to air audiences really understand. They understand that language of the you're in the band. But then what I think it's really intriguing and should appeal to a broad free to air audience. Another one returning, Survivor, the theme this time, heroes and villains, which just makes me wonder, is, is George returning? Well, you will have to tune in and find out, but there are some classic survivor villains would be crazy to leave out. Um, Heroes and villains is a great theme. We're all super excited about Survivor this year. We're all super excited about Survivor every year, to be honest, but we're back in Samoa. And when you remember that those Samoan series with the crashing waves and the black sand and and the heroes and villains theme is kind of survivor survivor classic. Um, So we've actually already shot it and it's really good. Obviously, I would say that, but it really, really is good. And then just before I bring Jared back in, just just maybe finally in terms of kind of programming announcements, um, what are your highlights for Paramount Plus, Bev? Um, well, I think next year, looking forward to Paramount Plus, the local highlights would be Last King of the Cross, um, which is really high production value. It's excellent. It's a really, it's an interesting story and, and it it's, is very strong and probably um, is something that, you know, we've had in production for a while now. We built a back lot in Sydney. We recreated the cross. So we're really looking forward to having that in the service. And there's a lot of anticipation for that. This is the story of John Ibrahim. It is. Yeah. Um, And it's kind of, it's a particular moment in time in his life. So it's kind of, if you can imagine the cross in the nineties, if you can remember the cross in the 90s, it has that vibe about it. It's a really interesting story. Um, great cast, great script, really great actors. Um, and then the other thing that we're um, super excited about locally next year is that NCIS Sydney will get on the service, which I am very excited about. We're kind of in script development at the moment, so we're getting closer to production on that. From an international point of view, the phenomenal pipeline that we have coming through from Global probably really kicks off at the end of this year when we have this sequel to 1883, which is 1925. So that'll be on the service a bit better later this year. God, we got two episodes into 1883. I'm struggling to keep up. Oh, well, you've got a few weeks to get there. Um, And So there's lots of great stuff coming through from international as well. And the great thing is now we always have the phenomenal American content coming through. Paramount Plus has launched in the UK this year as well. So we're starting to, um, next month actually, we'll start to get some of that British content coming through as well, which is great because we've got a lot of good stuff coming. Well, Jared, let me bring you back in. I'm just thinking a bit about um, sport. So by all accounts, you ran Seven West Media and Foxtel quite close for the AFL rights. Um, wanted to give them something like four billion dollars reportedly um it's probably harder to win when you aren't the incumbent um 
Do you feel it was a fair process? Yeah, I think the AFL ran a very good process. Um, we engaged with them for a long period of time. We had some, I think, really productive conversations with them. I think they knew what what we were going to bring to the table and, and why we thought that was a compelling proposition. And uh, I take people at face value and their feedback was that they understood that it was a compelling proposition also. Um, but, you know, the incumbents um, do a great job and, uh, you know, Credit to them and and congratulations to um, to them both on the deal. And I suspect that by the time we're um, talking in twelve months' time, there'll be a different um, picture for the sporting landscape, just because there are various rights coming up. Um, what for you is the next best strategic fit? Is it Olympics, cricket, tennis? Where where would you like to spend your four billion dollars instead? I'm not, not quite sure what the four billion dollars is that you reference. Um, I did see a number of six billion dollars referenced, um, but look, I mean, I think you know, sport sport is important to the Australian landscape. We know that um, it's one of the reasons why we made the play that we did um, for those rights. Um, in terms of uh, what comes up next, well, you know, in part that's up to the to the sporting bodies. Um, and also, you know, things are evolving really quickly, Tim. So I think, you know, what, what makes sense to us today or next month may not make sense to us in six months' time. Um, and we very much, I think, since Bev and I have been in our chairs, made decisions on that, on that basis. You know, you, you build out your strategy, but you accept that it's not a, it's not a set and forget, um, mentality. We'll continue to evolve. We'll continue to look at what makes sense for us, um, across all of our platforms. One of the things I find myself thinking about is um, in the cricket is Big Bash because, you know, 10 famously did such a good job at developing Big Bash. I presume that's one you would love to have back if you could. Well, as I said, um, I think we'll we'll look at that um, when that comes to the market um, and assess whether or not it's the right product for any or all of our products at, at that juncture couple of connected tv deals you've announced this week um uh, innovid which is ad products for connected tvs and then a deal with curve kerv interactive dynamic video now i'm hoping you can explain both of those things so i don't have to yeah i mean i might i might start with just you know, digital product strategy over the last couple of years has very much been built around and focused on the biggest screen in the house as you mentioned um, connected TVs. Um, we really look to develop a diverse and progressive suite of digital partnerships and products, and you, and you see that in um, our announcements. And we wanted to allow advertisers the ability to adapt and, and innovate at speed. You know, noting a lot of our conversation today has been how quickly things move in, in this market at the moment. So how is it that we create and work with partners to um, to put in play products that allow them to adapt to a, a constantly moving market and consumer consumer behaviours. Um, and we wanted to draw viewers closer to the point of sale. You know, so hence all of our announcements very much focus on uh, an e-commerce um, lens. So um, Innovid you know, is, a, is a partnership which we already have in, in the US, so we're building out on that. 
Um, and our partnership with Innovet is specifically around the Ad Selector product, which is an Australian first. Um, and it's and it's very much consistent with our strategy of being you know, immersive and interactive and, and, a, and a premium technology element. Um, and it allows users to choose their own adventure. So if you get served an ad, it has, uh, a, if, if the advertiser wants it to, a dynamic background. So if you're watching a hair care ad and you have, you know, dry hair or normal hair or whatever it might be, shiny hair, and that's of particular appeal to you and you're interested in that product or ad, then you will find out, if you so choose to, more about that particular lean of that product. I'm sure others could come up, come up with better examples, but, you know, it's the simplest one that, um, that I can give you. So um, it's, it, it works uh, in a dynamic nature. Um, Curve, Curve uh, is kind of an expansion of that in many ways. Um, it does draw the connection between uh, the viewer and and the point of sale closer together through the use of QR codes. Um, so it will really allow the user, if they're interested in a particular product, to go directly to the site of acquisition, if you like. Uh, so we think that's really exciting opportunity for uh, advertisers and for consumers. Of course, you don't have to engage with it on that basis, but the option is there and it does very much bring together um, viewers and uh, much closer to that point of sale. And then while we're still sort of thinking about the world of connected TV, I've also done um, uh, a deal with Samba TV, which is around measurement. Um, it really feels like we're we're measuring a lot of things with television these days. Well, indeed we are. It's an opt-in, it's an opt-in measurement tool um, at the election of, of the viewer themselves. Um, so if, if a viewer so wants to, to participate, it allows us, you know, I guess, more of an omni-screen view of, of the user. What are they watching on, um, on linear versus uh, a BVOD service or other services? And, and allows us to better understand the viewer, um, allows us to, to share uh, information about uh, how an advertiser may um, directly, you know, I say directly approach, but get access to um, hard to reach or harder to reach um, audiences. Um, uh, so it, it's going to be a fabulous tool in, in that regard and, and obviously provide provide viewer insights to us that we don't currently get through other services. Okay. Um, uh, Bev, I'm going to bring you back in in a moment. One more question to Jared first. Um, Jared, you're, I was just thinking, oh, time really flies. Um, your main regional affiliate deal with Southern Cross Stereo expires in about eight months from now. I can't believe uh, how fast it's gone. Um, do you think there'll be another similar deal or do you think you'll have found a way of buying SCA's TV stations by then? Yeah, we'll, we'll sit down. We'll sit down with the team at SCA you know, in the not too distant future and have a conversation about what makes sense for both organisations moving forward. Um, and you know, at the appropriate time, we'll um, make further announcements about that. But, um, but at, this, at this point in time, you know, it's a, it's a discussion and um, we need to work out what makes sense for both parties. 
Is it um, a gap in the sales story at the moment that you've got seven obviously bought Prime that gave them a full national offering, nine to all intents and purposes has merged with Win. Is it a gap for you at the moment that you don't have your own owned regional stations, do you think? Well, I think it's about the service that you provide to to the advertiser and to your clients at the end of the day, um, whether or not you own the asset, the under, underlying licence, um, or whether you work um, closely uh, with your uh, regional affiliate to ensure that your clients are serviced in the most seamless way. Uh, and that's very much our focus with SEA. We share a lot of information with them. We have a good working relationship. They're good partners. Um and um, and we find that that is working well for us and the feedback from the market is that that is working for our clients also. But like everything, and like many things that we've discussed today, we'll continue to monitor that. We'll continue to look at the, the ebbs and flows and shape and form of the, of the um, media landscape and make decisions that are appropriate for us and for our clients moving forward. Well, a question for both of you Um now, I fully accept that ratings are no longer the only game in town, but they are important because they influence advertising revenue. Now, from the numbers released in the market this year, um, with nine and seven both saying they, they get Metro share about 38% each, that suggests you get about 24% of the advertising market. Um Now, I'm guessing that by now you must be pretty close to setting your budget for next year. And I'm wondering, have you set your budget for a greater than 24% revenue share? And um, if so, are you confident that you've announced a schedule to deliver that? Yeah. I mean, um, like all organisations, Tim, we go through a budgeting process. Um, Linear ratings is one element of um, our business. Uh, Obviously, we've got BVOD, we've got um, fast channels to come through Pluto TV and Paramount Plus. So we look at we look at our budgeting process on a on a holistic basis. Um, our entire business is structured in a way to service across platforms. Um, so you know we're very confident that we've um, on very sound financial footing. Um, we've got a great business, um, a great group of people, and I'm very confident that. Um, yeah, that we've got the business model to to adapt and be flexible in an ever-changing market. And uh, Bev, um, have you announced the schedule that will deliver? I would say yes. Obviously, I'm slightly biased. But as I said, we have a good mix in our schedule of familiar brands that we know people love, of new shows. And also, we have mixed the schedule up a bit next year. And I think people will respond really well to that. Also, as everybody always talks about, we actually have a 52-week schedule. We're putting the challenge on this year December. So in terms of getting growth in those, there's certain time slots that are phenomenally challenging. But in terms of share, I think there are areas that we still can grow and there are areas that we will maintain. And there, of course, are areas that will be really challenged and they may slip, but I think we can make those up in other areas. Um, and obviously putting the schedule together, the intent of the schedule is to, to aim to deliver growth. That is the aspiration, absolutely. And you can't, you know, we need some things to go our way, of course. And final question for me, and again, for both of you, um, the organisation has changed a lot in recent years. Um, When people in this market talk about 10 and Paramount, what do they misunderstand? 
I, I might answer that briefly first. I don't, it kind of takes us full circle back to the beginning, Tim. I don't know that everyone misunderstands it, but I think what hasn't quite um, been broadly enough understood is the scale of the business that we have here now. To have that, um, you know, fastest, grow, fastest growing streaming service in Australia in Paramount Plus, to have a, a solid linear business, to have additional brands like Nickelodeon and MTV with incredible IP. And when you think of all the things that we've talked about today, and the, you could have a similar conversation with Seven and Nine, and you'd be talking about hundreds of shows. So in a world where there are so many options, for us to be able to aggregate audience into our ecosystem, to maneuver them around within our, within our ecosystem, bring them into 10 or Paramount Plus or 10 Play, and then encourage them to move across into one of those other platforms, that's valuable. And the other thing that's valuable, which you can't, again, you've kind of alluded to talking about some of the sports, right, is the investment capability to continue to invest in our content. So to have the global pipeline of great content, but to have the investment capability to continue to engage in local content, I think when you add all of those things together, that people think about Network 10 and they still to a degree, and we, you know, we do research about this, Sometimes people still think about The Simpsons and Big Brother. It has been a long time since that's who we are, but it takes a long time for perception to move. And Jared, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I mean, I think about it depends who we're talking about. You know, when we sit down with, um, you know, when Bev sits down with content buyers, they clearly understand right, who we are. When we sit down with our clients, we think that over the last couple of years, our clients understand the benefits of of our offering, the position that we hold in the market. Um, when we sit down with sporting bodies, I think it's well understood that um, that not just domestically here, but through the expertise of CBS Sports and what they bring to the table, that we are a very compelling offering to them. Our ability to to deliver across all of our platforms in a consistent manner, in a collaborative manner. Uh, we think is a is a is a valuable offering to to those bodies and and the viewers well like all of us they they're evolving you know it, a lot has changed in the last two years and frankly you know to a consumer do they really you know they think they think about things in I guess in a more discreet platform manner so I I think about it and answer the question is it really does depend on you know which stakeholder. Uh, we're talking about but I, I think we've made fabulous inroads I think the market's responding really well to our position and there's still plenty more to come well Bev and Jared it's probably the busiest week of the year for you so I appreciate you both finding so much time for me and thank you very much thanks Tim always a pleasure Unmade Podcast Edit by Abe's Audio Is the environment you're placing your ads the most effective it could be for your brand? Research shows premium digital environments deliver superior memorability, leading to attitude change and driving purchase intent. When you're looking to make a lasting impression, think premium digital. Visit thinkpremiumdigital.com.au to find out more.